Like many strong biblical teachers today, the first century apostles, Paul and Barnabas, got in a fight over their evangelistic team. And Luke did not gloss over the heat of the confrontation in his first century history of the young Jesus movement. Does the failure of our leaders to resolve their conflicts mean that Jesus is not strong enough to generate unity among us? Turn with our study leader, Dave Wurtson, to Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 41, and let's allow the Holy Spirit to guide us to some answers. Back in 1957, Billy Graham came to New York City. We're going to be in the old Manhattan Square Garden and have just week after week of, of incredible evangelistic meetings. And he really wanted my dad, Jack Wurtson, that was in charge of Word of Life, who had an ongoing ministry in New York to really head up and lead that crusade and be involved in organizing it, and then especially to be involved in the follow-up. In fact, I was raised every single Saturday night. I went through the Lincoln Tunnel, went to New York City, and my dad had these big evangelistic crusades with a couple thousand teenagers in uh, the old gospel tabernacle. And I meet people all over the world that came to know Jesus in those meetings. The reason Billy wanted my dad to head that crusade up is that right after World War II, right after the victory in the Pacific, victory in Europe, my dad and Billy and a man named Chuck Templeton, which is another story, who was an evangelist at the time at the end of World War II, they toured all over England together. And it was a devastating time for England. They saw cities that had been leveled by the German air attacks. And it was an unbelievable movement of the spirit. The English people were rejoicing that they were able to win World War II with us. But they were just, just stunned by the loss of life. Well, the Holy Spirit powerfully worked. And Billy would speak in a city. My dad would speak in another city. Chuck Templeton would speak. And other members of the evangelistic team. Incredible movement of the spirit right after World War II. In fact, a lot of the movements that you know of, Youth for Christ, Young Life, Campus Crusade, come at the end of that moving of the Spirit in the early 50s. A lot of those organizations began to be exploded by the Spirit. In 1950, my dad and Billy toured all over New England, which is a hard place to minister. You all hear about the cold Northeast. And the old Puritan area is now one of the hardest not to reach. It's not the Bible Belt. But my dad and, and Billy in 1950 traveled all over New England. They went to Boston. They were on the Boston Commons. They went to Yale University where my son Jonathan teaches. And the Lord caused hundreds of people to come to know Jesus. My dad would often speak when Billy's throat gave out or he was sick. And they were really close friends. What I want you to understand is my dad and Billy where my dad was about 10 years older. He was an older mentor to Billy. He was very involved in, in recommending him to do the 1949 L.A. crusade, which is what exploded the Billy Graham Association. But in 1957, when Billy actually did accept the invitation to come to New York, my dad didn't take the leadership, and my dad wouldn't help out with the crusade. You see, it was organized by an independent committee of business people, but also the Protestant Council of Churches. And the Protestant Council of Churches in New York had every denomination you can imagine. And a lot of those leaders of the Protestant Council of Churches, especially in New York City, didn't believe in the basics of the faith. They didn't believe in the virgin birth. They didn't believe that Christ rose again from the dead. In fact, they worked hard to get my dad off the radio. And so I remember as a kid hearing these stories, like them constantly attacking my dad. And my dad was a fighter. 
So he would come on back and he stayed on the radio. But to ask my dad, you see, Billy's idea was this. You need to understand Billy as an evangelist felt. We're going to make our message absolutely clear. In all of the times that you hear Billy speak, you'll always hear Christ died on the cross for sins. Christ rose again. And you'll always hear that. Billy was absolutely clear and he still is absolutely clear on the gospel. He also believed that we're going to control the crusade. We're going to set up the program. We're going to control the method. We control who's going to lead the worship. Cliff Barrows is a good friend of mine. is going to lead the worship. George Beverly Shea is going to sing. And so we're going to control the meeting. So we'll invite anyone that wants to, to join the effort and help the organizers. My dad's belief was, on the other hand, that everyone can come to the crusade, but we're not going to ask everybody to help beyond the basic team that runs it. And it was a sharp disagreement. In fact, it was so sharp that my dad and Billy never really ministered together again. Now, here I was an eight-year-old kid in 1957. So I was raised my whole life with two of the most powerful evangelists in the world that can't get along. Disagreement that divides. How many of you in your Christian life have ever faced disagreements And you couldn't solve it. How do you react when there's disagreements that divide? Some of you have close friends. You used to be close friends, but now you're not anymore because you disagree. All of you can tell stories of disagreements in churches. Our churches have disagreements that divide. One of the things that blows me away about the book of Acts is that the book of Acts doesn't dodge the fact That we all have disagreements, and when we have disagreements, we get angry. And when we get angry, one of the things that can happen is we divide from each other. Well, I want you to look at Acts chapter 15, because last week we looked at the Jerusalem Council in which the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter and Barnabas, and especially the Lord's half-brother, the Apostle James, held together the whole early church movement. Some of you have the idea that there was a pristine, pure day back in the first century where there weren't any problems. Well, you need to read your New Testament again. One of the reasons why I know that this first century history of the early church is truly inspired by God is it doesn't do what most of the literature that I read about movements does. See, most movements present themselves in a positive light, and they don't tell you about the warts. They don't tell you about... The scars, they don't talk to you about the battles that we didn't win. In the book of Acts, the apostle Luke is writing to us about this incredible resolution of a really key doctrinal issue that you don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to become Jewish in order to become saved and have eternal life. They won that battle. And they all rejoiced. The letter was written. They're going to take the letter all over the newly developing churches. Man, the Christian movement's exploded. Now look at verse 36. As we turn to Acts 15, 36, we have the Apostle Paul coming up with a great idea. It's that sometime later, so after the Jerusalem Council, after things had been resolved about the circumcision issue and about whether or not you needed to add Mosaic law to salvation by grace, now you got time going by and Paul comes up with an idea. First of all, it says, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back 
and visit the brethren in all the towns where we proclaimed or preached the word of the Lord, and the word of the Lord be the gospel. You can go back in the book of Acts. It's Christ died for his sins. It's Christ rose again. Believe in him. Turn away from your wrong beliefs about Jesus. Perceive him as the Messiah. You can have eternal life. All that's what's meaning in the word of the Lord. And Paul and Barnabas are totally agreed about the gospel. My dad and Billy Graham were totally agreed that Christ died on the cross for our sins. They were totally agreed that Christ in the body rose from the grave. And if you walked into the tomb, you'd find the grave clothes there, but you wouldn't find Jesus. They both believed with all their heart that just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. To him whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come. They both gave invitations at the end of their message where hundreds of people would come forward to receive Jesus. They were totally united, like Paul and Barnabas was, at the beginning of this movement in their life about the gospel, about the word of the Lord. I want you to understand that. I also want to notice a subtle thing. There's been a leadership change. You see, if you've been following the story of the book of Acts, and this is what I want to teach you to do as you read the Bible, you need to start at the beginning of a book and read to the end. Don't just keep jumping into the middle. The Lord will speak to you because it's a powerful word. But you'll never really understand what the Holy Spirit's really up to unless you let, like you would with any other piece of literature, let the Holy Spirit tell a story. What's the story of Barnabas? Barnabas was the powerful one way back when the early church of Jerusalem needed help with financial need. Barnabas was the son of consolation. When he saw needs, he sold property. He was a wealthy man, and he gave all the money to the apostles, and it was powerfully used to help the body of Christ. That's the way you should give, as you see needs, and as the Holy Spirit uses a group of believers like our own to meet your needs, you should graciously give. Don't ever give because you feel guilty. I really want to stress that. Barnabas is your patron saint of giving because you have an incredible heart full of grace and love. His name itself, his real name was Joseph, a good Jewish name, And his friends called him the son of consolation. How many of you would like all your friends calling you, this is the bar Nabas. This is the son of consolation. Incredible. Also, he had a prophetic gift. Nabas can also have the idea of Nabi, which is the word in Hebrew for the prophet. So this is a powerful Christian leader. When the apostle Paul came to know Jesus in Damascus, or just before he got to Damascus, and then he comes back to Jerusalem, the Jerusalem church won't have anything to do with him. Who was it that went and got the man that had persecuted the believers in Jerusalem and brought him in to the church of Jerusalem? It was Barnabas. Barnabas was a respected leader in the Jerusalem church that was an outgoing personality that grabbed a hold of this man that had just come to know Jesus and had spent time alone with the Lord for a few years, three years in the desert. Now he's seeking to get in and to join this new movement, and they won't accept him. Barnabas was the man that the Lord used to bring Paul in. When the gospel exploded up in Antioch, we've read in the book of Acts. I'm reviewing this story for you. When the gospel went up to Antioch, persecution broke out in the Jerusalem church. And it scattered the believers. Some of the believers, especially those that were Greek, Hellenized Jews that had received Jesus, they went up to Antioch. They felt really comfortable in this multiracial city. 
And up there in Antioch, they started sharing the gospel, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles. And just like happened at Cornelius' household in Acts chapter 10, Gentiles all over the city of Antioch start to come to know Jesus. It's a powerful movement of the Spirit, just like there was in my dad's crusades with Billy throughout New England, just like there was in the 57 crusade. Incredible movement of the Spirit. Lots of people coming in that know Jesus. Who did the Jerusalem church send up to give stability to this new church that's exploding? Barnabas was the man. When Barnabas saw that the teaching load was too strong for him, they needed more teachers. He went and got the apostle Paul who had been over in his hometown, his home city of Tarsus. And Barnabas was the one that brought him over to Antioch to assist him and to work with him. When the church of Antioch was fasting and praying and the Lord gave them a mission to go into all the world to move out of Antioch and take the gospel to the west and to go into what's now modern day Turkey. When the first missionary journey was conceived, who led the way? The apostle Barnabas did. And Paul was at his side. But in that trip, as they moved through Cyprus and when they hit the mainland and start going up through the Taurus Mountains, John Mark who Colossians tells us is Barnabas's cousin. We don't know that in the book of Acts, so don't include that. Dr. Luke chose not to tell us that because he doesn't want us to feel that the real disagreement is over nepotism. That's not the issue according to the book of Acts. But John Mark, for some reason, and this is another thing, sometimes you don't need to know why something has happened. Did you hear what I just said? Sometimes you don't need to know what happened. You say, how do you know that? Because the book of Acts doesn't tell us why John Mark left. I know he deserted. I don't know whether he deserted because Paul had become the leader and he overtook his cousin Barnabas and he didn't like it. I don't know whether he didn't agree with the Apostle Paul about the circumcision issue and letting Gentiles in as more and more Gentiles start to come to know Jesus. I don't know whether John Mark just simply got scared of the mountains. I've been on a lot of trips in the mountains where I lose friends because they ain't going up there with us. So I well identify with that. I've been on canoe trips where we got way up, eight hours in the woods, up a stream, and one of them goes back with a couple other guys, and we press on. Anything could happen. It's scary to be looking at several thousand-foot mountains, which is what they were facing. I don't know. When you get to heaven, ask John Mark. What the text tells us in the story is sometimes you don't need to know. When they come back, Paul and Barnabas give all these incredible reports. They work together in the Jerusalem church. They work together to solve the issue. And now they're totally agreed. We believe in the word of the Lord. We believe it's important to go back and check our mission churches. We need to go back to Lystra, where Paul was stoned. We need to go back to Derby. We need to go back to Iconium. We need to find out how our new baby brothers and sisters in Christ are doing. Paul and Barnabas are totally agreed on that. I want you to be agreed on that. I want you to just sit there to realize that one of the bottom lines in your life needs to be, I'm involved in the word of the Lord. I'm involved in bringing the gospel to people's lives. Dave Smith, one of our leaders, just shared with me on spring break. He was down at Three Rivers riding his bicycle around. And he run into somebody and they start talking about a lot of things. But he ended up talking to this guy about Jesus. And the guy turned out to be a backslidden missionary kid. I met a lot of those. A lot of them are my friends. 
And the Lord started to use Dave to pull him back to Jesus. Later on, as they were camping out, David was riding his bicycle again. And, and Carrie Underwood's song, that Jesus has his hands on the wheel. Remember that song? It's blaring out. And all these guys, and David said, this group of guys, here, they're playing this song. And David stopped his bike and says, guys, you know, that's really true. That's a love for the word of the Lord. How many of you would say, Dave, I can give you examples like that. I can tell you. I'm excited about sharing that Christ died. I'm excited to sharing that Christ rose again from the dead. I'm excited about inviting people to come to know Jesus. Can you say that this morning? Are you excited about new churches that are getting going? I want you to know that as you sit here today, there's a church down in Teague that's born. And Jimmy Petty is preaching right now because of you guys. I want you to know that Gary Halbert, that's taken the gospel all over from the cowboy churches, he was raised right here for more than 15 years, and we'll invite him to come and share about that. Incredible movement of the Spirit. You're part of a group where for the last 39 years you've loved Jesus, you've loved his word, you've loved spreading that mission out. The point of agreement that I want you to ask yourself, am I totally committed in the depths of my soul to the word of the Lord? Amen? Am I totally committed to understanding I need to check on those? Some of our church family was down in Houston with Jeff Thompson, our youth pastor, and Zach. I had a picture of Zach sharing the gospel down in Houston on a mission trip. That's what you're involved in. And you want to allow the Holy Spirit to cause you to become excited about that. There's all kinds of things. Incredible movements of the Spirit. We've got a whole God pod in the Venus prison where men are discipled and trained so that when they leave prison, they, they've already been matured to maturity in Christ. Incredible, wondrous things. We agree. The point of agreement is the power of the word of the Lord and the need to check. Then the problem starts. There's a point of disagreement. Notice what it says. It says, Barnabas wanted to take John Mark, John, also called Mark, with them. And Barnabas actually says, I just want John Mark. In fact, the way it's written in Greek is, Barnabas just says, I just want to take him. And he uses a verb that is, it's like you just mention it once. It's like, it's no big deal. John Mark will go with us. Paul, on the other hand, but Paul did not think it wise to take him. Notice it's a little bit longer. This kind of thing you need to look at. Barnabas is real short. He kind of has my personality. Let's just do it. Paul is more, we've got to think this through. We've got to be on target with mission, all that kind of thing. And that's the way Luke describes him. A little bit more. He says, I don't think it's wise to do this. But Paul did not think it wise to take him. Why didn't he think it was wise? Because John Mark had deserted them at Pamphylia, which is on the coast of Asia Minor, just before they moved up through the mountains to go to Antioch of the city. What happened? They loved each other dearly. They were able to talk clearly. They went for counseling with a very skilled Christian counselor. And they came to a marvelous agreement. And Paul and Barnabas and John Mark all trekked off together. Is that what it says? No. It says, but Paul did not think it wise. But it says, really, look, look at verse 39. Everybody look at verse 39. There arose. They had such a sharp disagreement. And this is a strong word. There was loudness. These are Jewish guys. They're like the Eastern people I was raised with, the Italians. And this is hot. And they really disagree. It says they had such a, such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and he sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and he left and commended 
by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria and Cilicia. What's going on here? This is the point of disagreement. What's Barnabas's idea? Barnabas, he's the son of consolation. Okay. His view is John Mark needs to be given a second chance. And I need to spend more time with him. And I can help him to mature from his immaturity so that he doesn't desert us again. If you only give him another chance, then he'll be okay. How many of you would say, I think Barnabas has a great point and that's what I would do. How many of you in the congregation believe John Mark should be given another chance? Raise your hand. Come on. Okay. Those are all your counselors in the group and all the ones that have the gift of mercy. As I teach you this morning, some of you naturally identify in your soul with Barnabas. And those are very deep structures inside of you. You're a consoler. You're a comforter. You want to give someone a second chance. Okay? How many of you feel like he deserted us? This is too important a task. We can't get on another missionary journey and not have one of the key members of our team involved and i can't be worrying like i can't have a deserter living with me every day that might be pulling this whole project down and i never know when he might split i can't risk it the mission's too important how many of you feel like that you're the visionaries you're the one to say we need to stay on mission we've got to get the gospel out okay who is right they're both right In fact, the text never tells you. Like, that's what you need to read this story. One of the things that a lot of you really have a hard time with, everything needs to be resolved. In this life, not everything will be resolved. Not every church meeting will end in peace. Not every leadership team will agree. Sometimes you'll be in church leadership meetings. There might be division. I want to understand that one of the things you need to learn to do is not quit on Jesus because of division. Don't quit on your marriage because you get hot. Some of you this morning, right now, you have disagreements with friends and you're withdrawing. It's taking you away from the gospel. You're saying, why should I ever share Jesus with anything? I can't get along with my own husband. Why should we share Jesus? Man, I've been ministering with fellow pastors, really powerful communicators. And when I get alone with them individually, they talk about how they really believe it should be like this. And another group of leaders says, I believe it like this. And they can't get along at all. And so some of you right now, you see, they want to ask you, have you stopped sharing the gospel? See, one of the big things I faced in my life is because two powerful evangelists, one of them was my very own dad, couldn't get along. It was really easy for me as a kid to say, Jesus is the author of unity. Jesus is the one that produces love. Jesus prayed in John 17, Father in heaven, I pray that they might be one, even as we are one. By this you'll all know you're my disciples, you love one another. I said, this is a bunch of baloney. Two of the most powerful leaders in evangelicalism hardly talk to each other. And they won't minister together. I went to high school with Billy Graham's daughter and a lot of my friends from that Christian high school don't believe in Jesus anymore at all. Bunny does. But a lot of my friends, because they were missionary kids, they were evangelists, the famous evangelical leaders, and they knew all the inside stuff. They knew about the fights. They knew about the failure to resolve issues. And they quit on Jesus. Well, I got news for you. 
Jesus isn't the problem when Paul and Barnabas can't get along. So don't run away from him just because human beings are weak. Don't run away from Jesus because we sometimes can't solve all our fights that divide, divide, our debates that divide. Sometimes if the heat is so strong, you need to give it time. Paul and Barnabas in this text, this is something really important. You cannot wait till everything is resolved to do the mission of reaching the world for Jesus. Did you hear what I just said? If you're the kind of person that says, I'm going to wait till we resolve all the issues, until all the disagreements are resolved, I'm going to keep Paul and Barnabas in Antioch of Syria. And we're going to wait because this is wrong. We can't have Paul and Barnabas fighting like this. The whole Christian movement. We got to just stop right here. You need to learn from the book of Acts. You'll get off mission to reach the lost for Jesus. You'll get off the mission of going out and helping those that are in little baby churches. This text is telling us it's too important a task. You can't resolve all your personality issues. You can't resolve all your differences of philosophy. Sometimes you can talk and talk and talk and you just flat out disagree. Barnabas and Paul had a legitimate disagreement and John Mark needed his cousin's consolation. And John Mark also needed the Apostle Paul's reprimand. Did you hear what I just said? For John Mark's sake, he needed someone that was saying strongly, you ain't going. And I don't trust you because you deserted me. When he crashed, when he felt rejected, he needed a son of consolation that says, but we're going to work on it. So Barnabas takes his cousin and they go to Cyprus. And Paul finds another young associate named Silas And they head across country. And what did God do for the cause of the gospel? Instead of one missionary team, what have we just done? Now we have two. Did it all end here? No. The rest of the New Testament tells us the result of an unresolved fight. We have two missionary teams, but that's not the end of the story. Because if you read the rest of the New Testament in the book of Colossians, it tells us that John Mark is Barnabas' cousin. And the apostle Paul is saying, that, Bar- that John Mark is part of his missionary team. When Paul wrote Philemon in the early 60s, probably just before he got arrested, when he wrote Colossians Philemon, he talks about John Mark being part of his missionary team. And when he got arrested for the last time, and just before he was killed in 2 Timothy, the apostle Paul, well, I don't know what happened to Barnabas, because he is off the story. When he leaves the pages here, I don't know, Bar- you'll have to ask Barnabas when we get to heaven. But John Mark goes on to write the Gospel of Mark with Peter. He goes on to become a trusted member of Peter's missionary team. And in 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul says, I need John Mark to come. He's good and faithful in the ministry. See, brothers and sisters, sometimes you have to wait. In my own life, I want you to know that my dad kept on preaching the Gospel. He kept on developing camps. There's now hundreds of camps all over the world because of my dad's ministry, Word of Life. There's not a place that I can go. There's not an evangelical ministry that I can't go to 
that someone isn't in an organization that was somehow touched by Word of Life. Pine Cove, right over here in East Texas, is a powerful camp. Pine Cove was generated because of the example of Word of Life in upstate New York, and they use a lot of the same techniques, and now that's exploding. The Lord used my dad's passion for young people to open up camps and to open up schools all over the world, and our church is vitally involved with it. What about the Billy Graham? Anybody ever heard about Billy Graham? Now, here's what's really cool. When my dad got his award for being on the radio for 50 years, remember I told you that? They gave an award to my dad. The National Association of Christian Broadcasters gave my dad a 50-year big trophy. And when my dad got the trophy, Billy Graham came out. My brother Don was there, and he gave my dad a big hug. And I want you to know that when my dad died, Billy and Ruth, that was his wife, sent our family a beautiful bouquet of lilies. And it was on the grave, and the lily was in the form of the cross. That's what my dad was about. That's what Billy was about. I also want you to know that before they tore down Texas Stadium, my son Josh wanted to go hear my father's opponent, Billy Graham, for his last crusade. And I did some counseling here. Some of you heard this story. I rushed up to Texas Stadium. And Josh and I, mean, it's going to be a real bonding time. Father with his youngest son. The last time we get to hear this great evangelist. And I arrive and we can't get in. All we're going to do is watch on those big screens down the parking lot. Because Texas Stadium was packed with over 60,000 people. Not a, not a place to sit. I took out my cell phone. Dialed in Tom Adams' number. Who worked for Billy Graham at the Cove who I had been with the week before, I said, Tom, I'm in the parking lot looking at a big screen of Billy Graham, and I don't want my youngest son to have his last exposure to Billy Graham to be out in the parking lot. Tom says, no problem. Meet me at gate 51, something like that. He comes down. We go by hundreds of people, and Tom takes out some media press Collars, put them around our neck with a big badge, you know, media. We go walking right through the gate. We get on the media press elevator, go up to the press box, and we went from being in the parking lot to leaning with our elbows with the media, looking over the whole crusade. Before the crusade started going, my friend Tom Adama tapped me on the back and says, Hey, Wurtson, I didn't give you a media pass for nothing. You see that guy up here? Remember him? He did the interview with you last week at the Cove. This crusade is going all over the southeast on the radio. And you are the color man for the crusade tonight. Just like you do in basketball, when there's a lull in the crusade, you dialogue with your friend. We came right to the end of the crusade. Billy said, Christ died for our sins. Christ rose again from the dead. You can be totally clean. You can be totally forgiven. Just as you are without one plea. But that Christ's blood was shed for you. To him whose blood can cleanse each spot. O Lamb of God, I come. And then like Billy did from the time with a little kid, he folded his hands and he bowed his head and invited people to come to the front. And hundreds started coming. And my radio sidekick said, Dave, Why don't you explain to our audience all over the southeast what's happening at Texas Stadium? And I got 
to go from the parking lot to being part of the last Billy Graham crusade in Texas. And I got to explain just what I just explained to you and invite people all over the Southeast to put a real kicker on that. My nephew is Franklin Graham's pilot, one of them, for Samaritan's Purse. In 57, my dad and Billy couldn't get along. In 2012, the gospel is strong. People are being saved. Samaritan Purse is reaching social, powerful, poverty needs all over the world. And we're all a part of that. That's what we need to learn from this chapter. I am so glad that unlike some of my friends, I didn't quit on Jesus because two of our super powerful leaders couldn't agree. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray that you would take what we've shared today about disagreements that divide. I'd ask you, Lord, that your spirit would now take this to produce the ability to work through things, to stay on target with mission. And I want to pray, Lord, that as a church family, that the love of the Spirit, the powerful resurrection power of Jesus would help us to truly demonstrate throughout all the Midlothian and surrounding area that we can truly be one and we can enjoy brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. And we love the unity, but it's a unity in the midst of diversity. I pray that you unite old people with middle-aged people with young people. I pray that you'll unite different races. I pray, Lord, that the power of your Holy Spirit would produce a mighty movement that enables, just like Paul and Barnabas didn't stay mad at each other forever, that eventually your Holy Spirit brought them together. I pray that those same stories of reconciliation will take place. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.